Hello and welcome to the book group. This is the very first in a series of podcasts by me, William Shaw. Every day in pubs and clubs and front rooms up and down the country, hundreds of people are meeting to discuss books. The book group is one of the biggest cultural phenomena of our time. But all this largely goes on in private, so every fortnight what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to gatecrash a different book group. It's about 6.30 on a Monday night and um, I've travelled up from Brighton on the train and I'm in Soho in London, um, just walking up Greek Street towards a pub called The Dog and Duck. In the 50s this, was, this area would be the haunt of people like um, Brendan Behan and um, <laughs> What's his name? Dylan Thomas. And uh, I started to work in Soho in, in about uh, 1984. I started working for a magazine called Smash Hits in Carnaby Street. And the, there was sort of like ghosts of that around here. Um, Geoffrey Archer still, Geoffrey Archer, Geoffrey Bernard still used to drink in the um, Coach and Horses not far from here. And here, just at the corner of Bateman Street, the dog and duck are milking this for all they're worth as you just go inside. Um, on the right of the side door, there's a sign that reads, It has been well documented that the world-famous English novelist George Orwell drank in The Dog and Duck. And I'm here to meet members of a remarkable organisation called the North London Reading Group. And it's easy to tell where they're sitting because there are three tables with signs saying reserved from 6.15pm on them. The group was founded almost exactly 10 years ago and the two founders, Paul Drinkwater and Dawn Barnes, are sitting at one of the tables. First, I talked to Dawn. Yes, I've been involved with it for 10 years in London and I actually was a member of a book group in Oxford um, where I'd moved there from the northwest of England and I didn't know anybody and I had a job but I wasn't really kind of your work colleagues can be a bit different to your social colleagues and I joined a reading group uh, and I think I went to that on its second ever meeting and then I think three or four years later I moved to London and Paul had also moved to London and neither of us really knew anybody again apart from work colleagues so we thought we set up a reading group and we thought one group and I think it was July or August 2007 so we're just over 10 years old now in London. Like Dawn it was a case of moving to London, London's a big place, um, I think I underestimated the move and the effect on my social life, so I guess I missed what I had in Oxford. Um, I think also it was at the height of free sheet mania in London, so there were, there, as well as the metro which should exist, there were free B papers being handed out in the evening, and they were just dreadful, they still are dreadful, you could just feel your brain turning to mush, <laughs> so I think part of it was to make me not read those dreadful showbiz rags and read books and discuss those with like-minded people yeah. in, in London. And Paul builds websites and does lots of technical stuff. 
and lots of people got in touch wanted to join a reading group. So we ended up setting up several reading groups and we still set up I suspect groups. I'm going to be discovering over the next few weeks that people who run these book groups are, are nearly always really remarkable people. Um, Dawn's certainly not an exception if that's the case. In her day job she's a communications worker, but she's also a Lib Dem politician. In 2010, she stood as a parliamentary candidate against the Prime Minister David Cameron, but didn't win, obviously, which is probably fortunate because otherwise she wouldn't have had time to run not only this group, but the many others that have sprung out of the North London Reading Group. Uh, in addition to the fiction groups, which there are about 20 of, we have a 19th century novel group, we have a Shakespeare group, we have a graphic novel group, and... Um, a sci-fi group, did I say that one? Yes. And we did have a politics group for a while, but that fell by the wayside um, and could be restarted. So yes, we have quite a few groups. You've created a monster. Yes, I've created a monster. There's one woman, Anita, who's a member of about five or six groups. I have no idea how she finds the time to read all the books for those. But what she does is she tends to kind of guide them to choose books that she's already read. And each, uh, each reading group has its own kind of rules. So our group, we tend to stick to fiction. We try to avoid the classics because lots of people think they've read them. But that's how the 19th century novel group was born because actually you haven't read as many as you think. So that's a quite specialist group. Uh, so we, we stick to fiction. We try to stick around the 400 page mark so that if you pick a real awful book, then 100 pages a week isn't too much for somebody to, to deal with and they can read something else on the side. So we've broken that rule this month with Midnight's Children. And I chose Midnight's Children because it's 70 years since partition. And I just thought it would be a, a different way to theme the choosing of a book. And we've never had any Rushdie in this group in 10 years. Just as a rough guess, how many people do you think have passed through over the 10 years? We must have had over a thousand people get in touch over that period of time. And they'll be on the mailing list, some of them would have opted out. We see more people coming through in January when they make New Year's resolutions to find a reading group. But I would say about a thousand people in total. Yeah, but we've got a mailing list of about 1,500 people oh, now. Well. <laughs> um, not all of those want to join a reading group. Some are just interested, um, for whatever reason, in the newsletters that we send out once a month. Did you mention book stuff? I can't remember. No. Yeah, so one of the first things that we did when we suddenly realised, almost by accident, we had about five or six book groups, was we created something called Bookstock. Bookstock turns out to be their own mini literary festival. So we started getting authors getting in touch with us saying, please read our book. And obviously we can't read everyone's book. And so we thought, what, what can we do about this? So we rented a, a room above a pub, not dissimilar to this one. And we just invited five or six new authors and got them to, to just read their, you know, read excerpts from, from their novels to a packed room of people getting slowly more inebriated. It was like a stand-up comedy night, but with authors. And that was just something I could never have seen myself doing, but we kind of... I was going to ask, what, into book, it. what books you discovered? Was there any author you discovered through meeting them? I'd say, so a personal favourite of mine is, is a guy called Christopher Fowler. And he's one of those people that just should be so well-known. Um, but he's almost like one of the, 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 the best-kept secrets, I think, of, of London authors. So I think he's uh, definitely an author to, 
and, and also a brilliant personality as well. He has a very you know, wry sense of humour, lovely guy, incredibly entertaining, and writes really brilliant books. The Brian DeMay. Yeah, the Brian DeMay series, yeah. but he also branches off and, and does other things as, as well. So, personally, he's someone I always keep, keep an eye on. I was going to say, Christopher Fowler actually wrote us our own short story once that he wrote on a Saturday afternoon, and he came along to do our Christmas party, which we traditionally have in January because everybody's got too many parties in December and January is miserable. And he wrote this story for us, and there were people that were there just because they love Christopher Fowler. And he was just throwing the papers to the floor, and there was a bit of a fight for it at the end, <laughs> and somebody got those papers. But we've had Mike Haig come and do events with us, um, who is now probably well beyond a bookstock. <laughs> um, Essie Fox, I think, has published her second novel recently. And then, so we've had writers that have gone on to be on the Waterstones tables. Ross Raisin is another great author who I think we discovered through um, around Bookstock. It, yeah, he, he wrote a fantastic novel called God's Own Country, not related to the, the film that's out at the moment, but a great, quite creepy, capturing the right esque novel about um, a stalker. On, on the farm in, in Yorkshire um, so he's someone we've been fortunate enough to have read for us who's gone on and become much more well known As it heads towards 7 o'clock other members of the group start to arrive I've been upstairs, hello, how are you? Good, how are you? Currency I am William, I'm, I'm lurking in here You must be Hugh I am, oh, yes I'm Tricia how do you do? Patricia is tonight's host. She's the one who booked the uh, tables here tonight. Everybody, everybody takes a turn. So the, the idea is that you you buy the first. This is my understanding is that you buy the first drink and then um, you buy some snacks or whatever, and then everyone else buys their own. When did you? How did you find out about this then? The website in January. Oh, okay. My New Year's resolution. You're one of the ones, was it? Yep. What were you doing in January that made you want to find a reading group? Um. I'm a bit of a workaholic and just realised that I, um, I didn't, I, I would like to kind of go out more and socialise more and one of the things that I really quite liked doing was reading um, and I'm slightly strange in that I have a visual impairment so I can't read normal textbooks um, and what I used to find was that I go to dinner parties and so on and people would be talking about various books and I loved literature when I was at school and um, I decided that I would actually join a reading group because my sister and a number of friends actually belonged to such things and um, I found that I was actually going to be able to use Audible so um, so that's actually been really quite quite interesting so um, yeah so I, I commute in South, I work in South London I live in North London so I uh, I listen to books on the way to and from work and um, get very invariably hooked and spend the weekend possibly even listening to them as well. And uh, yeah, so that's what, what happened. I mean, it's been really, really interesting. And I, I think that it sort of introduces you to, um, to authors that you would never in a million years come across. And I think what's also really, really interesting is that everybody has a very interesting perspective of a book and you will read a book and you will think it's X, Y and Z and then you'll have somebody else's take and it will be A, B, C and maybe a bit of the X and the Y and it makes you really, really question your perception sometimes and your your, your bias as well. Um, so some of them are actually very, very meaningful. Some are kind of pretty crazy, but no, it's really, really interesting. And I'm guessing you're not a Londoner originally. A Londoner originally. No, from Czechoslovakia. <laughs> which part of Czechoslovakia? 
I come from um, County Meath, just north of Dublin. So from County Meath, Czechoslovakia, back to Soho, where I'm asking Paul and Dawn if in the ten years they've run this book group they've come across any books they really want to champion. Um, so one of the books that springs to mind was, this must have been nine, ten years ago, um, was a book called Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates. And this was well before the, um, the, the film came out that made it much, much better known. Um, is that a book you chose? Yeah. So a book I would had never even heard of, so by that short wouldn't have picked it. So it's a book that was very memorable. I loved it, but it's one of those rare moments where absolutely everybody in the group loved it as well. So we, we have a habit of marking books out of ten just for the fun of it. Yeah. And that almost got full marks all rounds. I think it's a, partly because we were I was much younger then, so I was in my early thirties. I think the book that speaks to you if, if you're at that age. Um, it was also very memorable. Um, the venue, um, Hugh, who's just joined us, um, hosted it in a members-only whiskey bar. So as well as it being a great book and, and a great night, it also started a, a whiskey habit. I guess sadly, it, it's a book about I guess the death of idealism, maybe. Um, and at that age, I think you start to realise that the world's not as you hope it will be. It's, you have to sort of deal with it as, as it is. Now that was obviously going to be one of your choices. So he's stolen your. your... No, no, I, I chose that book, so I'm oh, delighted that it did so well. It makes up for when I chose England, England by Julian Barnes, which on paper sounded fantastic. It's based on the Isle of Wight, and the Isle of Wight has become a theme park about England in the 1950s. So on the back of the book, sounds brilliant. Awful. Everybody hates it. Awful book. I hated it. I gave it a two out of ten. I was just so disappointed. But um, I think one that stands out for me would be one of Hugh's choices, which was Flashman, which is something I would never have read in my life before. It's a proper boy's own kind of book. And it was actually quite amusing, a different way of looking at um, historic events and, you know, obviously not entirely all true, but quite good fun to read. And as I said, something I would never have picked up off a shelf in my whole life. And the only book where the footnotes are as interesting as the book itself, aren't they? And they're brilliant. Yes. So the tables are full now, and it's time to move on to this month's book. Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie. Um, I chose it because it's 70 years since partition, because the group's never read a Rushdie novel, and um, this also won the Booker of Bookers, so it comes with many, many accolades. Uh, it did break the rules because it's longer than 400 pages. I should just pause there to explain the North London Reading Group rule that no book should be over 400 pages, which was instituted after Hugh, who's sitting on my right, um, decided on War and Peace as a book group read, with the result that half the book group almost killed themselves trying to read it in the allotted time. But it was a toss-up between this or A Suitable Boy by Vikram Seth, because the other book I chose this year was The Master of Margarita for 100 Years of the Russian Revolution. I'm having an anniversary here, so I think you did well. <laughs> Can I just ask about the rules? Because they are important and they make things work. You seem to have a, a social... If, if I was to join, is the social my first point of contact? It's the easiest way for people to access us generally. So we have a regular social and people can come along because it can be intimidating to come into a new group and they'll meet some people and then hopefully they'll meet some people from the group that they'll join. And some people will ask, can I join this group? Because they've got on with somebody at the quiz that night. And it just makes it more friendly and, and less formal. So, one by one, moving anti-clockwise around the table and kicking off with a question from Dawn about use of colour in Midnight's Children, they each start talking about the book. 
yeah, not because of him, but because it's... it's um, I've decided not to record the parts of book groups when people are actually discussing well, books. I may change my mind about this, but, um, but unless a group really wants me to record them, um, it seems a little unfair. After all, this is, as yeah, I said at the beginning, I, I a kind of private activity, really and I didn't want to um, make people feel self-conscious about what they're so saying. Yeah, and the group talks for about an hour about the really, book, really, really, really intensely, actually. It's great listening to them. But after the hour, um, they go round the table so again and give a little summary of what they thought. So here I switch the tape recorder back on. So... I'm still about 70 pages from the end, so I don't know if anything revelatory happens towards the end. It's an incredibly dense book and it requires a read and a reread and writing a doctorate or a thesis on it. It's just crammed full of stuff in the same way that it's almost like a modern Ulysses. You know, it's, it's just a book to be dissected and probably that's why it seems the, the best of the book and why it's, it's loud, louded so much. Um, it's not a book to, to, to be read between tube stops. It's a book to, to you need to set time aside to digest it and, and um, absorb it and, and think about it. Um, is it the best of the bookers? I'm not so sure, but I think the conversation we've had just it, you know, it, it you know, summarises that it's an important book and a fascinating book and a book to be read and debated for years. So I'd probably give it um, eight out of ten. Hugh says he listened to the BBC uh, podcast that's recently. I'm probably going to go, uh, and he seven. gives it a solid seven. But with a caveat that I, um, I, I perhaps missed some of the meat because of the abridged version I. Next uh, is the turn of Julie, a Norwegian woman who has two small children. I ask her when on earth she gets time to read. Um, uh, yeah, well, I uh, read after they've gone to bed. Right. Uh, yeah. Or. Like today, I had to finish the rest of Midnight's Children. <laughs> and like, I had to finish like 250 pages left. Right. So um, I just placed my son in front of Netflix. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're training your son not to read, <laughs> so you can read. <laughs> so I just like utterly neglected him, right? Yeah. Uh, so I could read the rest of it. Yeah. And then um, I finished. I think it does, yeah, it does have a layer of complexity that's where you sort of go, this is an interesting read, but there's too much to take in here. And that's why I know Indian history reasonably well, but I still think that is too much going on here. Um, but at the same time, I, in, I really enjoyed the ways I, I enjoyed the way which we may disagree on the way women are portrayed because I do like this notion that in cultures where you, from the outside, perceive women as powerless, they nonetheless will actually significant power, and I think that is important to recognise that things are not what they seem on the surface. Um, I would give it a 7 out of 10. So the group work their way around the tables, each one giving their summary and scores. But I didn't enjoy it as a Yeah, so I'm going to give it a 7. Until we finally get back round to Dawn. I think he uses language really beautifully and he uses words that you don't get to use very often. You think, oh, how wonderful. 
he managed to get that in there and I just thought that was really you know he, he's obviously a fantastic writer yes there's so much more that I don't understand that goes behind this book I don't think you need to necessarily understand it and it still holds its own as a book but it's also inspired me to go and up my knowledge on things about India and Pakistan and partition and Arabic tales and so on. So I'm going to give this book a nine. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> She's a really hard scorer too, so that's just... Is that you don't often give nines? No. Usually around the four or five mark. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, this is a really good Six and a half. And just one final observation is no, I think we haven't discussed this, but it's a really I think it's a really funny book in some ways. It's a comic yeah. novel. And also quite crude, so mm. there's a bit where he chops his finger off. It's horrific, but quite funny as well. <laughs> No, um, mother superior not speaking to her husband for 18 months. So the scoring done, all that remains is to choose the book for next month's read. As host, Patricia gets to choose the book. She's been a bit nervous about this. So guys. I've chosen a book because of... Um, it's really great, I think. Um, I think it's very, very interesting in terms of um, you look at the Austrian election, you look at Trump, you look at Brexit, and it's called it's called Small Great Things. And the author is? The author is Jodie Pico. So yet again, they've chosen a book that breaks the 400-page rule. It's been a really lovely night in the Dog and Duck. Um, I think Paul and Dawn have done something amazing, um, creating this network of groups across London. Because it's hard in London. People have so little time. They seem to rush from work um, to a flat somewhere an hour away. And... Actually making time for reading and then talking about reading is, is not easy. We tend to think of books as, as really you know, solitary items. That, that we, they're very private. You read them on your own. That's part of the, the fun of them. And yet, at the same time, um, they're capable of creating a really sort of social network around them. And actually, we do read books because we want to talk about them, I think. At one point, I put this as a question to Dawn, and this is what she answered. When I was a kid, I enjoyed reading so much that I would lie to friends that would call around for me to play out and say I'd been grounded so I could stay in if I was reading a really good book. <laughs> and my parents used to get really angry with me and say, you'll never have any friends because reading is so lonely. And I think this proves that it's the least lonely activity. You can make it so full of social events and things to explore and places to go to and to talk about and people to eat with and drink with and I'm going ice skating with somebody else from the reading group soon so all these different activities where you find interest so reading is not at all solitary so my pets are very wrong that's a very good answer I love that the idea of reading books being the least solitary activity the book they chose for their next read was Small Great Things by Jodie Pico other books they mentioned were God's Own Country by Ross Raisin, Flashman by George MacDonald Fraser, and Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates. And they also name-dropped writers Essie Fox and Christopher Fowler. In the next edition of the book group, I'll be back down in Brighton in another pub, uh, this time meeting the Brighton Queer Books Group.
If you're a member of a book group or know of one that has a story to tell, please get in touch with me at bookgroup at williamshaw.com. Find out more at williamshaw.com forward slash the book group. And that is me done. See you, I hope, in a couple of weeks. Thank you.